Welcome to Sunday School. And I am so pleased that I am now freed to move around the room because we have the projector and I have my remote control clicker so I can walk everywhere and wave my hands like a madman as I teach. I, I do have an announcement and I am uh, kind of sad to inform you that I have to cancel the camping trip in June because I'm not going to have time to do it. Um, I've talked to a few of you about it. My job has changed dramatically and I'm going to be traveling uh, a large part of the year, but we are going to do it in the fall. So I apologize. Uh, start thinking about leaving some weekends open in September and we'll probably do it then. Okay, I want to get into God's Word. It's interesting that uh, Brother Barkus was talking about revival and the Spirit of God starting to move because a remarkable thing is that as soon as God's Word starts to move, God's Spirit starts to move, as soon as good things start to happen, there is an element that takes notice and wants to capitalize on those things. You have charlatans that want to step in. Now, we have been talking about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And these were teachings that Jesus gave us on how not only to live our lives, but on how we are supposed to structure our thinking in our mind. And in this particular passage, now we have Jesus warning us to protect ourselves and to be careful and to be aware because there are false prophets that are going to come. Our first verse is Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, where Jesus is speaking here and he says, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. This is very, uh, it's very symbolic speech. It's very, I want to say pretty, but that's not the right word. It's very, you know, it, you conjure up some, some interesting images in your mind when you see this kind of uh, language being used, sheep's clothing, ravening wolves. It invokes some interesting imagery. And I'm a lot older than most of you in this room, and I'm happy that your grandparents are here because I'm not the oldest person here anymore. Thank you very much. It's good to have you here. Uh, but there was, there was a, a terrible thing that happened when I was a young man, and it was the People's Temple Christian Church. And I think probably all of you have heard reference to Jim Jones and what he did. But I'd like to talk a little bit about what that really looked like to the people that were in it. Jim Jones was a very charismatic person. He, was, he created a warm and what appeared to be, for all intents and purposes, a wonderful Christian environment. Ultimately, however, he replaced Christ with himself. He became the center of the religion instead of Christ being the center of the religion. He began demanding money for everything that he did. 
I mean, if you wanted to counsel with him, you had to pay. If he came to pray for you, you had to pay. Money became important. He also had a preoccupation with sex and weird sexual acts and that kind of stuff. I won't go into a lot of detail. And finally, tragically, he killed almost a thousand of his closest adherents. And maybe you've heard of the Jonestown in, in it was in, in, in Africa, and he had was going to start this community. And just out of nowhere, he decided that everybody needed to die. But I want to talk not so much about the what, but the how. How did this happen? How did he do that? This is from a book that was written about that church. Jim Jones knew how to inspire hope. He was committed to people in need. He counseled prisoners and juvenile delinquents. He started a job placement center. He opened rest homes and homes for the retarded. He had a health clinic. He organized a vocational training center. He provided free legal aid. He founded a community center. He preached about God. He claimed to cast out demons, to do miracles, and to heal. Doesn't sound too bad. Sounds like a pretty good guy. Sounds like somebody that you might want to follow. Sounds like somebody whose church you might want to go to. But he had all the marks of a false prophet. He promoted himself through the use of celebrity, which is a very common vehicle for false prophets to gain credibility. He manipulated the press. He wanted favorable stories to be published about his church and what his church was doing. He used the language and the forms of faith to gain power. So now I want to talk about some things that are going on today. And how many of you, and we're going to draw some parallels, I want you to think about some of the things that that he did in in that he was promoting through the use of celebrities. He was looking for good press. He was trying to get the word out there about what was going on. And we have a lot of things going on today in our world that facially can seem very attractive. You look at Scientology. This was a religion that was actually developed by a man named Ron Hubbard who was a science fiction author. And I I went to their website last night and was pulling up the principles of their faith. And he says that we are thetans, or thetans, because it's after the Greek symbol theta. We are comprised of mind and soul, and the only thing that we are about is survival. We're just trying to survive. And in, as part of our survival, we have eight urges. I didn't write this stuff, okay? Uh, there is self. We have the urge to preserve self. Our creativity. Our group survival. We have a species urge where we want the species to survive. 
We have a life form urge where we want all life forms to survive. We want the physical universe to survive. Then there is spiritual, there is the infinity urge, which is defined as the allness of all, and ultimately there is the creator. Now these are taught to be concentric circles with yourself in the middle. You are the center of everything. And whatever is true for you is true for you. And whatever is true for someone else is true for them. And we need to just reach out and all work together so that all of our individual truths can be fulfilled and that all of us can survive. Now, you know, a lot of religions will hand out tracts and will be happy to give you a study The Scientologists, no matter where I went, the only thing you could get for free was a catalog. And the cheapest thing I could find was a book for $15. Now, let's go back and think a little bit about some of the indicia we were talking about from Jamestown, or Jonestown, sorry. And that church liked to use celebrities and the press. How many of you are aware of a well-known celebrity Scientologist? I mean, everybody can think of one, right? And he has gone on the media and talks it up. And if you ever push him on it, what do you believe? What does he do? He just tells you what's wrong with what everybody else believes. Or what's wrong with modern medicine, or what's wrong with this, or what's wrong with that. But he never talks to you about what he really believes. So what you see are some parallels in the way that they are trying to get credibility and to reach for people and to, and to come to some kind of uh, justification or some validation of, of who they are. And our pastor has made no bones about talking about the church of Oprah. So I went last night and was pulling up several clips and these are these are some quotes who you are requires no belief heaven is not a location but a realm of inner consciousness my mind is part of god's i am very holy my holiness is my salvation my salvation comes from me One of the mistakes of human beings is to believe there is only one way. There couldn't possibly be only one way. Now, I would like to tell you that these were people extracting bits and pieces of things that she had said, but they're not. These are quotes. These are things, I saw the clips. And the last one was the most concerning because she was being challenged by a Christian woman who said, but Jesus Christ is the way. There is only one way. No man comes to the Father but by me. I am the way, the truth. She was being challenged with that, and she said, that's all right for you. But there can't only be one way. And you might say, 
Just a talk show host. Nobody believes these people. Ah. There is a reason that Jesus referred to us so many times as sheep. Because we are so easily led. I, I almost hate to admit this, and, and I may have to hand in my man card when this is over. But I went with my wife to hear Paula Dean speak. You know who Paula Dean is? Southern cook. I didn't want to go. Sister Wolf and my wife convinced David, Brother Wolf, and I to go. We were coerced. We went. Wasn't bad. She's a jovial sort. We had a wonderful time with the wolves, which we usually do. But I was taken aback at something. These people didn't just like her. They worshipped her. They knew what all of her jokes were. They were waiting for her to say something about butter. It was amazing to me. They were hanging on every word. Now, Paula Dean is a nice person. Seems to be. I've been to a restaurant in South Carolina. Isn't that the one that's right above Georgia? South Carolina, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I know I travel a lot. Uh, anyway, anyway, her, I mean, her fried chicken and macaroni and cheese, I'm telling you, are to die for. I love that stuff. But that's not really the point here. Who is she to be for people? Why would they follow? Why, why would they? Because that's how we are. We are led about. We are easily beguiled. We hear things because we like to hear things and we follow people because it's neat. Think for a minute. When Jesus was feeding people with the miracles, the bread and the fish, he couldn't get away from the crowds. Was it because they were mesmerized by his words? Was it because they were so taken with his teaching? No. They liked the fish and the bread. They just followed him around for a happy meal. We are susceptible to being fooled. We are susceptible to following things around. This is dangerous stuff because millions of people buy into this because Oprah said so. And I don't intend to be offensive but I must talk about Joel Osteen. Mr. Osteen, and again, this came from a Larry King interview on CNN. I watched the tape several times last night to make sure that I had it right. And he did say that he believes that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but he refused to agree that a non-believer won't go to heaven. He wouldn't say it. He refused to say it. And a caller called in to the Larry King show and said, I'm very disappointed because you will not admit that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He wouldn't admit it. 
And Larry King tried to call him on it, and he just kept shifting position. And he would never make a statement. And he would say, well, I believe that. Well, I'm sorry, but if you say, I believe that there's only one way and Jesus is the way, that precludes any other way. It's a matter of logic. It precludes any other way, and yet he would not make that statement. He doesn't believe in using, and this was, again, this was a, an interview with him that I, I got the transcript of. He doesn't believe in using much scripture because he wants to reach the mainstream by teaching practical principles, and he said that the scripture turns people off. Doesn't want to put a lot of scripture in. So in his books, when he writes, he moves all the scriptures to the back so he doesn't turn anybody off in the front of his book. In one of his, and again, all of his, his preaching is on tape. So, I mean, it's not like this is done in a, in a closet or he thought he was doing it quietly. But he believes that Jesus died, and this is what he preached to his congregation. Jesus died on the cross so we can live an abundant life. So that we can have victory in health and finances. Jesus died to cover sin. Jesus died to provide the final solution for the sin question. Now, there is going to be in our life times when Jesus blesses us with health. There are times that Jesus will heal us. There are times that we will get a financial miracle in our life. But this does not mean, and it has never meant, that we will never be sick. Because the implication of his teaching was, if you're sick, then you don't have all there is from Christ. I have news from you. Some very good Christians suffer in their physical bodies. Some very good Christians don't have every dollar that they would like to have and struggle from day to day financially. Does that mean that they don't have the whole truth? No, it doesn't mean they have the whole truth. My goodness, almost all of us would, would have to admit that we need to go find some new truth in this room if money, having money, was the indication of whether I was living for God or not. I know people with lots of money that are heathens, right? So I find this very offensive. And I'm sorry, but that is a false doctrine. The part that bothered me the most, and again, this is not hearsay, this was from an interview. I saw the tape to make sure that I had it right. He refers to the church and Christianity as a growth market. His church has an annual budget of $50 million a year. Now, I ask you, I ask you, if you believe the church is a growth market, does that inform you at all about why he won't say anything bad about somebody who's not a believer? Anybody who's a salesman will tell you you don't do anything to offend a potential customer. You don't want to turn them off. Well, you know what? If, if we look at Jesus as our guide, if Jesus thought someone was doing wrong, they were told that you were doing wrong. Now, he wasn't mean about it. He wasn't vicious about it. He just simply said, you are doing wrong. Now, when he got to the Pharisees, and the scribes, people who were misleading God's people, Jesus got pretty belligerent with them and told them things that they did not want to hear. Is it any wonder that they wanted to kill him? 
He was causing them incredible pain in a political sense and in a power sense. They couldn't have that happen. We need to be the same light in this world today. We need to hold on to what is true. Jesus warned us people like this would come. He warned us to be careful. Watch out. Now, prophets traditionally would wear rough clothing. You remember the description of John the Baptist. And the idea was, or the thought is, is that they did that to demonstrate their separation from the world. We don't need all the niceties. We don't need all the fine stuff. We depend entirely on God, and you would know one when you saw one. You could tell it was a prophet because they were rough looking. They were wild. Their hair was everywhere. They'd been living out in the wilderness. They probably didn't smell too good, but that's who the prophets were. They would go off into the, to the wilderness, commune with God, That's who the prophets were. Shepherds, on the other hand, typically wore clothing made from the wool of their own flocks. The thought being that they would smell familiar to the sheep. They would look like they belonged. Now think about that in the context of Jesus' message. He used the phrase sheep's clothing to suggest that these ravenous wolves want to look right, they want to smell right, they want to fit in. But in the end, they're going to tear us apart. We have to be very careful here. They aren't dressing up and saying, you know, if somebody came in here in a Star Trek uniform and started telling us the revelation they had from God, who would listen? Well, maybe for a minute. Just kidding, <laughs> all right? Guy comes in a Star Trek uniform, your first thing you're thinking is lunatic, right? Right, you came out with a communicator pinned to your shirt, got you covered. I know exactly how much I'm going to listen to this. But suppose some guy comes in wearing a suit, nice pair of slacks and a shirt, and he's saying all the right words. And man, he's on fire. He's carrying a Bible. He's got a T-shirt, maybe, that has some saying about Jesus on it. And he's saying all the right things. Might that person cause a little, little bit of a problem? How suspicious would you be of that person? Maybe not very. That is what Jesus was talking about. They're not going to come in in a Star Trek outfit. They're not going to come in in a, uh, a wizard's thing, you know, like from one of the Mickey Mouse movies, you know, with the stars on it and a, you know, a pointy hat and a little wand with a star on it and throw pixie dust at you. You know, people like that, we know that's nature's way of saying, stay away, stay away. That's not the kind of person that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the charlatans. They want to fit in. They come in and they look good. They come in and at first, you know, it sounds pretty good. But what can happen? What can happen? And I submit to you that we, this group, have had situations where we've had to test some spirits. Who is this person? Who knows this person? 
What's going on here? Something's not right. Well, what was one of the first ways we could tell that something was wrong is that the fabric of our class started to tear apart. Started to be a little pull here. We've got tension where we've never had tension before. We've got pain where we've never had pain before. We're having problems like we've never had before because the fruit wasn't right. The fruit wasn't there. What's going on here? Many powerful speakers claim to have a message for Christians to hear. It's not a new problem. The Old Testament spoke about this many, many times. There are, and, and Jesus spoke about it, and the disciples dealt with it. Paul dealt with it. It is a, was a plague on the early church. There are people who will pervert the gospel for personal gain. And the greatest tragedy, in my mind, the greatest tragedy is those who sincerely follow that person, who really think they're doing the right thing and die in their sins. So how do we tell? Jesus has the answer. You'll know them by their fruit. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. So how can we tell? We have to be able to discern false prophets by looking at their fruit. Be careful. Jesus reminds us to just be careful. We don't necessarily mean that we're suspicious. Every time a new person comes in, we don't look at them and go, uh-huh, what is it about you? Hmm. You know, Susan came in, it's kind of new. Had to check her out. That's why in most instances, newcomers are not immediately put into roles of leadership. Can't do it. I mean, we've seen that happen where somebody, you know, they come in and, and it looks like maybe, man, they're all full of fire and why aren't we using them? It's like, well, let's find out who this person is. Let's test the spirits here a little bit. Let's find out what their fruits are like. We need time to observe their behavior and listen to their message. That's one way we can protect ourselves. In Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5, there is a formula which we can't follow completely, but it is an interesting read. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he speak unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them, thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So even if somebody comes in and gives you some wonderful signs and everything's looking good, if they're preaching something that does not sound right to you or is contrary to what you've believed, God said, sometimes I send those people just to see where you're at. Okay? But if they're preaching something that is contrary to what you have come to believe or you have been taught, extra caution. Extra caution. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. We probably should be careful here. 
He hath spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God, brought you out of the land of Egypt, reamed you out of the house of bondage, to thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk. So shalt thou put the evil away from the midst of thee. I suggest to you that perhaps we don't kill people in the absolute sense. But I do believe that we need to put the evil away from the midst of us. There comes a point, there comes a point we have to be concerned for every person's soul. That is true. But there comes a point where if that person is so divisive and if they are causing such a problem and their fruit is not true, we need to separate ourselves from that person. We must. Because we cannot have a false prophet in our midst. We can't have it. We cannot have it. So we see two indicia of a false prophet. Their predictions don't come true, in which case you need to kill them. Or their teachings are contrary to what we have been taught before, in which case you need to in an intellectual sense, not in a physical sense. Now, the quality of the tree equals the quality of the fruit. Claims are easier to make or fake than results. I'm a lawyer. I had to learn the rules of evidence. Why are there rules of evidence? Because, believe it or not, people will swear to anything if it's in their best interest. You'll say, surely not, Brother Titus, surely not, oh, let me tell you, this will come as a shock to you, but under the right circumstances, even lawyers have been caught in lies. I know, go figure. And let's be honest, even Jesus' claims would have been nuts if he didn't back them up. He would have, that's pretty some wild stuff he was speaking. The difference was, he did everything that he said he was going to do. He raised people from the dead. He caused the blind to see. He healed the lame. He himself rose from the dead. Now that's some powerful stuff. Anybody can say it. It's a different, different when you have to back it up. No matter how well someone can tell a story and cover their tracks, eventually that true person will be revealed. They will. They will make themselves known. Paul warned us as well in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 6 through 7. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Constantly we're getting these reminders. Be careful, be careful, be careful. So what do we do? Jesus is advising us to use some discernment. We have to have some spiritual maturity here. We need to think about this stuff. We need to be sensitive to the Spirit. False teachers will have immorality in their lives. Watch how they treat people and how they treat money. Do they condone immoral practices? 
Is money their prime motivator? Is the leader offended when asked for scriptural basis for their beliefs? If somebody can't back it up with scripture, we don't want any part of it. No part of it at all. Go away. Do they pray? Is the Bible honored and taught? Is God at work or are they just busy? Go back to the Jim Jones situation. We cataloged all the things that he was doing. Hospitals, training centers, all kinds of stuff. They were busy. But was God at work? Was God at work? Don't go it alone. This might be the best advice that I can think to give you today. Run any new idea that you hear or is appealing to you by some Christian friends or Christian mentors. They can keep you from applying some crackpot theory to your life. Talk about it. Weigh the spirits. Try to understand what's going on. Never form a life commitment without reference to the Bible. You know, it's silent on a lot of things. Like, what kind of car should I drive? What kind of suit do I look good in? Should I become a brain surgeon? You're not going to find that. It's silent on a lot of that stuff. But what I can tell you is it speaks clearly on doctrine. And it speaks clearly on God's purpose for our life. Weigh it against the Bible. Talk about it with Christian friends and mentors. A final word. We must not be dazzled by a person's outward clothing his charm, learning, doctorates, and ecclesiastical honors. We must not be so naive as to suppose that because he's a professor or a bishop that he is a true ambassador of Christ. You have to look beneath the appearance, appearance to the reality. What lives under the fleece, a sheep or a wolf? And with that, have a wonderful week.